Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, fellow companion animal lovers, and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm your host, Marie Hewlett, and I thank you for joining us again today. And if this is your first time tuning in, welcome! For all you Empire TV show fans out there, you were probably all shocked when Lucius Lyon was diagnosed with myasthenia gravis. I first heard about this condition back in the early 1980s when a young German shepherd puppy came into the veterinary hospital where I worked and displayed all the telltale symptoms. With further testing, it was confirmed that this poor little pup, who was as cute as a button, was suffering from MG. And at that time, there really wasn't an adequate way to treat him, so sadly, the owners opted for euthanasia. It was heartbreaking all around, and I never forgot that little puppy. Well, now, things have really changed, and Myasthenia Gravis is being managed and treated successfully if it's diagnosed and treated early. To help talk about this wonderful change, I've invited pet parent Lois Reinheimer to the program to talk about her special dog, a golden doodle named Joy. And after our halftime break, Dr. Catherine Crook, the veterinarian who treated Joy, will be by to tell us a little bit more from the scientific perspective. This and more are coming right up here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewitt, and joining us now is Lois Reinheimer and her husband, Ed Reinheimer. Good morning, you two. Good morning. I am so happy you're with us today. I got an email from somebody in the press who told me about your beautiful dog named Joy. So first of all, I'm going to ask you all about Joy. What kind of dog is Joy? Joy is a golden doodle. Okay, and how old is Joy? She'll be three in August. Ah, and have you had her since she was a, a baby? Yes, we have, yep. Ah, very cool. Now, I understand that recently you started noticing some issues with Joy. Can you talk a little bit about what happened? We Go ahead, I'll let Ed tell you. Okay. Well, uh, I, typically I take her out for her morning walk, and... We had noticed she seemed to be kind of limping a little bit uh, the one evening after having played with a neighbor's dog. And they were playing pretty rough and was something she wasn't doing on a regular basis. So she thought we thought maybe she had pulled something. Hmm. But then I'd take her out for her morning walk, and she would walk a short distance and stop and, and kind of squat like she had to pee. And... Then she'd go a little further, and she'd squat again, and a little further, and again. It was a real chore to get her through her walk. Um, So then we started wondering, well, maybe she has a urinary tract infection or something, so that she's having some problems. Mm -hmm. And we had been into our our vet at Bees Ferry Veterinary uh, Hospital, and they checked her over and didn't see any obvious issues. 
and suggested, uh, that was like on a Thursday or a Friday, they suggested we bring her in the following Monday to uh, have, I guess, an ultrasound or, or some x-ray. an x-ray. Yeah. Okay. They put her on pain medication and an anti-inflammatory, but really didn't see anything skeletal. Um, they were just doing it to rule that out. So were but, they thinking it was soft tissue damage then of some kind? Yeah, they they at that point really weren't sure. But okay. uh, by Monday morning um, when Ed took her out, I went out with them, and he said, take a video of her walking, which I did, which was very, very informative. So we learned later. Uh, and uh, she was just hardly walking at all. Was she in so, pain? Pardon me? Did she appear to be in pain? It, we thought she was. Okay. You know, we, we thought she was in pain. It but more like fatigue than pain. We couldn't really tell. So we called uh, Charleston Veterinary Referral Center that morning uh, because we had had two other dogs treated there. And uh, we were very, very pleased with, with um, the facility. So we called that morning and said, we think we need to get her to see you rather than going for x-rays okay. to our vet. I might add that in the past, we we had two dogs that uh, we actually had lost those dogs, uh, but they their care had been coordinated between Beast Ferry and Charleston uh, Referral uh, Vet Service. So these so were veterinarians we, we that, that you really trusted. We knew they cooperated with each other. And okay. We're not... Not uncomfortable at all going going in to see them. How old was Joy at this point? Was she already three? No, Joy was probably, well, this was probably about three months ago. Okay. Yeah. So, and she won't be three until August. Okay, so she's still a young dog. Very about, young, About yeah. two and a half years old, and she seems to be getting tired while you're going out for walks for no apparent reason, and the vets yep. are stumped at this point. So what happened? Well, we took her in. Uh, she saw a neurologist, Dr. Crook, mm-hmm. and Dr. Crook watched her walk for a few minutes and said, I think she has myasthenia gravis, which... Did you have any clue what that meant at that point? Yes, I did, because my mother had a friend when I was growing up who had it. Oh, and, okay. And uh, I knew about the disease, and uh, I, I am a retired dentist, so I had a fair amount of neurology when I was in school. So I was I was familiar with the disorder, but I had no I, I you know I, I was overwhelmed when she suggested this. But she proceeded to do some clinical tests, uh, an eyelid test, which um, was very interesting. She tapped Joy on the eyelid a number of times and. A normal functioning person, you would just continue to blink every time someone taps your eyelid. Right. But joy, joy, the eyelid fatigued, the muscle fatigued, uh-huh. and she just started to stare. Wow. This is a muscle weakening disease, as you probably know, and it affects many, many muscles of the body. The eyelid being one, the esophagus being one, and of course, skeletal muscles, which was responsible for her fatiguing when she was walking. So then Dr. Crook suggested we do a tensile test, which she probably, I guess I guess you've spoken with her. 
We're um, going to be speaking with the veterinarian as soon as we're all done talking with you because okay, I wanted great, to get the, well, the she pet will, parents' She will tell you all about it, but it is, it is a neurotransmitter that actually mimics the, the uh, body's neurotransmitter that causes the muscles to contract. And in a disorder like this, the, the, the muscle areas, the receptors, are destroyed by the autoimmune process. Wow. So well, there aren't enough just... receptors there. So when the neurotransmitter is released, normally... Uh, there aren't enough receptors to contract. And then when she did the Tensilon test after she fatigued Joy, just walking Mm -hmm. her, she gave her an IV of this, and Joy just got up and ran around a couple of times. It was just amazing. Wow. Just amazing. Very diagnostic, very quickly. When you you heard the news, though, and being familiar with the condition, what was your first thought? I mean, you must have just been devastated. Well, our first thought was another autoimmune disease because we had a we had another golden doodle who had an autoimmune disease. Uh-oh. And uh we were very very upset about it. Uh but Dr. Crook calmed us down and said I'm almost 100% certain this is what it is. It is treatable. Uh, once we get the medication titrated appropriately, she can live a very, very long, normal life. So that calmed us down a lot. But, uh, yeah, the first first thought was, here we go again. Oh, wow. Well, now that you have a treatment plan in place, tell me what's involved in the care and maintenance of having a dog with this condition. Well, the first thing involved was getting her on the appropriate dose of medication, and that was a little bit of a challenge. Uh, She was in the hospital for a few days while they um, tried to titrate the medication appropriately, thought we had it pretty well down, brought her home, but she started in with a lot of GI upset, which is one of the side effects of the Mm. medication, so she went back to the hospital again and then saw a um, GI uh, physician, a veterinarian, who ruled out, you know, anything other than just this was, you know, part of the the process of getting this medication dosage appropriate for her. So uh, it's been a lot of ups and downs initially. Now that we have her on the appropriate dose, it's a matter of uh, making sure that she eats her breakfast before she can take the medication, mm-hmm. and then we give her the, it's an oral medication, and uh, she gets it twice a day, every approximately every 12 hours. So we try to keep it pretty close to that so that the blood level of the medication stays pretty even. And um, we have her on a omeprazole over-the-counter, which is just a GI um, medication just to keep the acidity of the GI tract down. And other than that, we just watch her, make sure that she doesn't get overly fatigued. Okay. But uh, she's doing quite, quite well. Oh, that's fabulous. Do you think that early detection resulted in this good result here? No question. Yeah, the, there, are, there are a couple of factors. One is we're pretty observant pet owners, mm-hmm. and we've, we've had problems with our dogs before. So 
we keep a pretty keen eye on on what's going on, and we just we didn't fool around. Once we saw that there was something clearly wrong, we immediately sought the appropriate level of care. The other factor, uh, and I can't stress this enough, after our experience with the two dogs we lost a couple of years ago, we incurred a great deal of expense in that process and <clears throat> kind of learned our lesson. So we purchased pet health insurance. I was wondering if dog. you two had pet insurance, and, and has yes. that been pretty good in, in helping been, to cover the cost? It's been terrific. Oh, uh, I, I don't know if you want me to give you the name of the program we have. Sure, why uh, not? I think it's good for our listeners to know about all the different pet insurance options out there. And if you've had a good experience, then then please let us yeah. know. Now, we did a fair amount of research. I, I My career was in the insurance business, so I researched uh, a bunch of the programs. And there must be probably 30 pet insurance plans out there. Mm-hmm. We ended up, uh, based on that analysis, going with Pet Plan Gold. Okay. And... They've been terrific, but that takes the whole issue of can we afford to treat this dog off the table. Uh, And that is really important because... That's such a big hurdle for many people. Well, that Uh, is fabulous, and I am so glad that Joy is doing better. And, you know, we're we're already at the end of our little segment, so I'm going to transition over shortly to talk with your veterinarian. But I just wanted to thank you for sharing this information with us because I know there are other people with pets out there who might experience the same thing as you and having this out there so that they can know what to watch for and how to deal with it is just priceless. So thank you so much for taking a little time with us today. Well, you're welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you. So listeners, don't go away because we will be right back after the break with Dr. Katherine Crook, the veterinarian who actually treated Joy. So stay with us here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewlett, and joining us now is Dr. Katherine Crook, who is actually the veterinarian who treated Joy, the golden doodle we were talking about in the first part of the show. So welcome to the show. Thank you. So we really talked about Joy, the golden doodle, from the perspective of a pet owner. But now I want to talk to you about Joy from the perspective of the veterinarian who treated her and the whole myasthenia gravis situation. First of all, let's explain exactly what that is. Yeah, so myasthenia gravis is a disease that it's actually most common in dogs and people. Um, it Myasthenia gravis results from a problem in the transmission of the signal between the nerves and the muscles, which ultimately causes weakness and fatigue in a patient. And that occurs because the body basically relies on chemicals called neurotransmitters to relay a message from the nerve across a tiny, tiny space to the target muscle for that nerve. And in the case of myasthenia gravis, 
the receptors for the neurotransmitter, the specific neurotransmitter called acetylcholine, become blocked on the surface of the muscle cell, and that results in the muscles not getting the signal to contract, which, again, on a larger scale, results in a dog becoming weak in those muscles, and they can't maintain their strength. And and possibly even paralyzed until everything clears up again? In the worst cases, yes. Okay. And isn't this something that we normally see in puppies of certain breeds? So it can. There is a congenital form that can be seen in uh, very young puppies of certain breeds, um, dachshunds, uh, fox terriers, and Springer spaniels. Um, so like six to eight week old puppies. Um, that's a slightly different version of okay. myasthenia gravis than what Joy had. Okay. Um, but it, it also can be seen in um, younger dogs, when I say younger, so young adults, like ages one to four, okay. um, which is more similar to the type that Joy has, or it is the type that Joy has, which is actually an immune-mediated form of the disease um, where the, own, the, the immune system turns on the receptors and starts attacking them, which is why um, you know, we, ha- we get that weakness. Now, why does that happen to begin with? Is it triggered by a virus or anything like that? Yes, it's actually an active area of research, um, you know, why, what actually triggers those immune-mediated responses. Um, You know, oftentimes it can happen to anything that's going to stimulate the immune system. So something as simple as vaccines or, you know, if a dog has had surgery or gotten a new medication, um, something that stimulates the immune system and then, you know, in somewhere the immune system gets confused and starts recognizing, you know, a part of the body like those acetylcholine receptors in this case um, as foreign and then it, it, you know, the immune system normally protects the body from germs and other organisms, um, but in this case, it gets confused and starts, you know, recognizing a part of its own body as foreign. Oh, that's pretty scary. Is is there anything as a pet parent that we can do to help prevent this from happening, or is that completely a mystery at this point? Yeah, there's nothing that you can do. Once you know that, um, that something triggers, you know, a response, so if um, your dog has an immune-mediated type of disease already, Um, then there's things like limiting vaccines to only the necessary ones or, you know, avoiding certain medications. But there's nothing, you know, if if a dog has never shown signs of, of, uh, you know, of an autoimmune-type disease, then um, there's nothing we can really do to prevent it. Wow, that's that's kind of scary. (laughs) As far as how often something like this occurs, is this a rare disorder, or do you see it pretty regularly? Um, it's actually, it's, it's, it's not a common disorder. Um, you know, I'd say in the last year, you know, in all of my cases, I've seen probably three cases of, of myasthenia gravis. Um, you know, there are varying reports um, in the literature of how frequently it occurs, but it usually, you know, some of the estimates of, of dogs that come into the hospital, they're probably about one in, in every 1,000 cases or so. Okay. So that actually is a pretty high frequency, one in a thousand. You think of some diseases, you know, where maybe one in 50,000 would be affected. 
So, yeah. so this actually and again that's and that's of of a, a hospitalized um, you know hospitalized dogs that come in for neurology. Okay, can a dog actually have maybe a mild case of it, or is it all or nothing? Nope. So they can have a mild case. Um, myasthenia gravis can. They can have a focal myasthenia gravis where it just affects certain muscle groups or a more generalized myasthenia where it affects, you know, all of the, the muscle groups of the body. And, and when I say all of the muscle groups, I mean the voluntary muscle groups. Um, it also can be mild where they, um, in the early stages, where they will have a um, fairly, you know, short-strided or weak gait, but then progress um, to the point where they, they really can't walk at all and become, you know, near paralyzed. Wow. So if I'm understanding correctly, the muscles will actually fatigue, and then if they have a chance to relax for a little while, then they can perform normally again for a little while until they fatigue again. Is that correct? Correct, correct. In the, you know, in, unless they're in the very severe extreme stages, that is correct. Okay, and I've also heard that if you diagnose and begin treatment early, you're going to have the best outcome. Is that correct? That is true. Um, one of the things that we worry about with myasthenia gravis is that the uh, the esophagus, so the muscle between the, the mouth and the stomach, um, or the tube between the mouth and the stomach, that's actually a voluntary muscle in dogs. So okay. that can become affected by the disease and stop functioning correctly. If oh. that happens um, and that, be, that muscle becomes weak, then we can see things like you know, regurgitation and, and lots of drooling like, like we saw with joy. Um, the, and, and that's really the thing that, that's important to catch early. If we catch that, you know, esophagus the, or what we call what turns into a mega esophagus, so an enlarged um, esophagus that just doesn't function, mm-hmm. um, if, we, if that goes on for too long, we, we usually can't correct that problem. Oh, it no. doesn't respond to medications like the um, like the rest of the the muscles of the body seem to. So that's really the the concern, and that you know dysfunction of the esophagus is is sort of the the big fear with with myasthenia gravis and what creates so many complications down the line. I see. And the heart is a muscle. Is it affected by this condition? It's not because, um, you know, as I said, the myasthenia gravis really only affects the voluntary muscles, and okay. so the muscles of the heart are involuntary. Okay, so we don't have to worry about that. And let's talk about Joy. What was your treatment plan with her, and why was that a success? Yeah, so really in, in treating myasthenia gravis, um, the the goal is to increase the amount of neurotransmitter that's present between the nerve and the muscle and sort of bombard the receptors that do function with with more of the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. So that was the the basis of the treatment for joy. Um, So by giving that medication, you are ultimately increasing the amount of signal that the muscles receive to contract. and and enjoy we started the the medication the peridostigmine and um 
and she responded very well um, with or to that medication. Um, and so we, that's that's the me- medication that we kept her on and have continued. Now this will be something that she will have to take for the rest of her life. Is that correct? Most likely. Occasionally, some cases with the acquired form of myasthenia gravis, as Joy has, mm-hmm. um, they can go into remission for oh. the disease just spontaneously. Wow. Um, and so that's where we, we really monitor our our dogs with myasthenia gravis or the patients. Um, as neurologists, we follow them along, um, you know, to make sure that, that they, they don't all of a sudden start to experience side effects of, of the medications when they never have. That, that would indicate that actually maybe they, they don't need the medication as much um, and could signal a, a remission. Oh, um, okay. the, the other thing that we can follow along in most cases um, is actually we can follow along how many antibodies the body has produced to that acetylcholine receptor. Oh, and um, you and can monitor that, that through blood work then. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So how often will Joy need to come to see you for the rest of her life? <laughs> um, yeah, in the early stages, I was seeing her every few weeks to, you know, and, and then we space those out. So probably every six months to a year, oh, okay. um, depending on how she's doing. Um, you know, if she experiences any more weakness, then I'll have her come in so we can adjust her medications and things. Awesome. Well, this has been really good news because I know in the past, way back, when a pet would get a a diagnosis like this, that was kind of a death sentence for a pet. I mean, how long has this treatment been available? Um, I'm actually not sure. It it certainly has been available um, for a while. I'm I'm actually not sure how long the drug protostigmine has been around, but um, certainly for the last 20 years at least. Okay, excellent. Well, Dr. Cook, this has been so informative, and I'm so pleased to hear how well Joy is doing. So thank you so much for sharing all of this with us on the show. Yes, thank you for having me. We need to take one last break, but don't go away because we'll be right back with Pet Place News and Events here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. We're back on the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. Today, the Dodgers will hold Pups at the Park at Dodger Stadium. Fans that purchase a special event ticket in the Coca-Cola All-You-Can-Eat Right Field Pavilion are invited to bring their dogs to the park and help cheer on their home team as the Dodgers host the San Francisco Giants at 4.15 p.m. All Dodger Stadium parking gates will open at 1.45, so be sure to arrive early to check in for the pup activity and parade. Each pup and their owners will check in and receive a goodie bag, and the parade will begin promptly at 3 p.m. The Dodgers will donate a portion of the proceeds from this event to the Tony La Russa Animal Rescue Foundation, which is very cool. Now, there are a whole bunch of rules, so please go to the Dodgers website to find out all the information about vaccination certificates and liability and forms that you need to sign before you do this because you will not be let in 
unless you bring all of that paperwork with you. Too much to talk about on the air, so check it out. And don't forget to check out our website at www.petplace.org to send us your comments or suggestions for the show and see what other fun animal-related activities there are on the Pet Place calendar. You can also find us on Facebook. We're listed under Pet Place Radio, and that's all one word. Well, that's all for me today. Remember... Pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend with more of the Pet Place here on KJAZZ 88.1 FM. I'm Marie Hewlett. Please spare new to your pets and have a wonderful day.